Well, we've been on a journey this month as a church. We did a series called Silent Night. And if you've been a part of the series, then you know the concept is we sing all these beautiful Christmas carols every year that so few people actually experience. Like we sing words that really aren't a reality of our life. For example, in this song, Silent Night, one of my favorite songs, there's a line that says, sleep in heavenly peace. And yet the reality is very few people today can say, I actually sleep in peace. Most people sleep in anxiety. Most people go to bed at night with a lot of worry and a lot of fear and a lot of anxiety, and they wake up and they toss and turn, and there's not a real peace that they live with. And so we've been looking at this concept of what does it take to be able to sleep in heavenly peace? And we've studied the word peace, and, and it's, a, it's a real popular word during the Christmas season. I don't know if you've ever seen the phrase peace on earth. I actually got a Christmas card this week from a Christian organization, and the front of the card said peace on earth. And I've seen it on buildings, and I've seen it on houses, and, and lit up peace on earth. But did you know that the phrase peace on earth only occurs one time in the entire Bible, and it's not in the Christmas story? You know, I know we love to put it on Christmas cards, but it's not part of the Christmas story. The only place in the whole Bible peace on earth actually exists is Luke chapter 12. Look at this with me. Here's what Jesus says. Do you think that I came to bring peace on earth? No, I tell you, but division and wars and conflict. Put that on your Christmas card. There's your peace on earth. You see, the concept of peace on earth doesn't exist. There's never going to be peace on this earth. The Bible promises that on this earth, there's going to be trouble. There's going to be hard times. There's going to be conflict. There will not be peace on earth. So what does the Christmas story promise then? Why do we say peace on earth? Well, what they did is they got the words out of order, which really changes the meaning. Because here's the actual Christmas story. Luke chapter 2 says this. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest. And here's, here's the exact quote, on earth, peace. You see, there's no such thing as peace on earth. If your heart is set on peace on earth, you're going to be emotionally let down. But the good news of Christmas is on earth, peace is available to people whose God favor rests upon. The world is never going to have peace, but you in the middle of the world can have peace with God's favor on your life. And that is how can I receive God's peace in the middle of the chaos and the middle of the conflict? Because it's a gift that Jesus worked hard to pay for. And I really believe that Saturday morning when your friends call you and they ask you the famous question, what'd you get for Christmas? Some of you are going to be able to say, you know, more than anything I opened yesterday, what I received that I wasn't expecting is I had peace that I've never had before. I had peace that doesn't make sense to the human mind. Here's the way Jesus said it. In John 14, Jesus says, I'm leaving you with a gift. Now, here's the good news. I don't know what kind of family you have. Like some families, they allow their kids to open one present on Christmas Eve. I wasn't part of that family. I hated my friends that were part of that family because they always got to open that present one night early. And I had to wait every time for Christmas Day. 
Well, Jesus has a gift for you tonight, Christmas Eve, and you can open, you don't have to wait for tomorrow. Like you can, you can unwrap it, take it home, and sleep in heavenly peace tonight. It's a gift. Peace of mind and heart. Some of you need peace in your mind because your mind is full of fear and full of worry and full of anxiety, and you need peace of heart because your heart, your soul has been so emotionally disturbed. And I love what he says, the peace that I give isn't fragile like the peace the world gives. So what we discovered in this series is peace is not the absence of conflict, but it's the presence of Jesus. In other words, on Christmas Day 2,000 years ago, the very first Christmas Day, peace was born. You see, peace is not something Jesus gives you. Peace is who Jesus is. When you have Jesus, you have peace. Peace was born on Christmas Day. So we learn, we run to God. Because this baby that we celebrate every Christmas was peace. He himself is peace. The Bible calls him the prince of peace. That word prince really isn't the best translation. The more accurate translation is lord of peace, commander of peace. When he's the lord of your life, there's peace in your life. When he's in control, when he calls the shots, there's peace. Now, you cannot celebrate the birth of a baby without there being a mother in the story, right? Like, like you can do without Joseph in the Christmas story, but you can't have Christmas without Mary. I mean, if you understand what I'm saying, like the mother is very central to the birth of a baby. With, without a mom, there's no birth. There's, there's no baby So Mary is very important in the story. And so I want to ask a question today as we tie all this together is, who is Mary? Who is this little girl, Mary? Well, in Luke chapter 1, verse 28, it says, the angel went to her, Mary, and said, greetings to you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Greetings to you, highly favored favored one. Now, unfortunately, this verse right here is one of the most mistranslated and misunderstood verses in the history of Christianity. It's actually why we have two two major splits in Christianity that happened hundreds of years ago. Half of the Christians believe one thing about Mary, and the other half of Christians believe another thing about Mary. It all goes back to this very verse, because there's a Latin mistranslation that says, Hail Mary, full of grace. Well, it doesn't say she was full of grace. It says God's favor and grace was upon her. There's a different meaning there. Jesus was full of grace. And when you're full of grace, you can give grace. Mary was not full of grace. God's grace was upon her. God graced her life. God put his favor on her. He chose her and gave her grace. So the question then is, how do, we, how do we look at Mary? What is Mary's role in our faith? Because there's, there's kind of two thoughts out there. One thought is we diminish her and we make her less than what she really is. And then there's another thought where we glorify her and deify her and, and almost even get to the point where we pray to her. So how do we look at Mary? How do we refer to Mary? Well, Jesus answers the question in Luke 11. As Jesus was saying these things, a woman in the crowd called out, blessed is the mother who gave you birth and nursed you. 
Blessed is her. She's special. She's blessed because she gave you birth. And Jesus said, no, 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 you you missed it. Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and obey it. Do you know why Mary was blessed? Because the angel brought her God's word. She heard it and she accepted it. She could have said no. But she heard the word and she said yes. That's why she, meaning the blessing on Mary's life is the same blessing that's available to you. She's no more blessed than you are. Jesus says anyone who hears the word and responds to it, that person is, and she did. Because if you study the life of Mary, she goes on to become a disciple. Mary becomes a disciple of the little baby that she gave birth to. Think about that. Mary became a follower of Jesus. Mary made this little baby that came out of her womb the Lord and Savior, the Messiah of her life. In Acts chapter 1, talking about the disciples, they all joined together constantly in prayer, along with women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and his brothers. Mary was part of the disciples. She was one of the disciples. She wasn't above the disciples. She was one of the disciples. She was a follower of Jesus. She made Jesus the Lord of her life. The Lord of peace became the Lord of her life. So I want to read to you the Christmas story as we pull this whole thing together. Luke chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and the line of David. He went there to register with Mary. He was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Now, Luke assumes you understand Hebrew first century culture because in verse five, they're engaged, but in verse six, they're married. So in between verse five and verse six, a wedding takes place because by the time verse six rolls around, they're living together, which you did not do unless you were married But then he uses very distinct language in verse 5 about an engagement. Now look at this in verse 6. While they were there, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. Now, let me ask you a question. Does that give you the impression, the phrase, while they were there, does that give you the impression that they rushed into Bethlehem in the middle of the night while she was going into labor? Is that your first reaction to while they were there? No, our first impression is they were there. They, 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 had, they had been there. They, they were actually there for a few months before the baby was born. You see what I mean how so often we don't actually read the, the actual text. We kind of read into it with what we think happened. That's why as a church, we really want to learn how to follow Jesus. We really want to learn who the Jesus of the Bible really was and not kind of our idea of him. While they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloth and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room. How many of you have a guest room in your house when friends come in town, guest room? That's what that is. That's not a hotel. It's a guest room. It's not a hotel room. It's a guest. There is another word in the Greek language for hotel room. That's not it. 
Just letting you know, there, there's no hotel in the Christmas story. There was no guest room. Of, and the reason the guest room, if you really translate that accurately, it's the guest room wasn't big enough. Because when you have a baby in the first century, you need midwives and you need nurses and you need other people helping with the delivery of the child because it's very dangerous for the mother. That's the most dangerous time in a woman's life is when she gives birth to a child in the first century. And so the guest room would not have been big enough for all the people she would have needed to help deliver the baby. So they moved into the main house for the delivery of the baby. That's why there's mangers. Mangers were kept in the living room. And again, another message for another time. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And the angel of the Lord appeared to them. And the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. And this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloth and lying in a manger. In other words, the angel said, you're going to find Jesus born to a poor family just like you. You see, the shepherds would have thought, Messiah, he's going to be the son of a king. He's going to be the son of a, 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 a general of a military army. He's going to be the son of royalty, the son of a wealthy family. There's no way we could go see him. No, no, no. Manger, manger. You see, wealthy people would have had a stable. Poor people had mangers. Why? Because you only had a couple animals. You had your milk cow or, or goat, and you'd bring them in at night because you didn't want wolves eating them. You had to protect your property, and so you bring them in at night to protect them, and you didn't want them waking you up in the middle of the night, so you had mangers in the living room so that if they got hungry, they could eat without waking you up. And so what the angel was doing to the shepherd is saying, listen, you're going to find him in the same social class as you. You will be accepted if you want to go see Jesus. Suddenly, a great company of the heavenly hosts appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was laying in the manger. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherd said. And then here's the verse I want you to look at, verse 19. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Can you imagine what must have been going through her mind that night? All shepherds, the angel, the angel to her husband, the immaculate conception. Can you imagine all that she was pondering in her heart, what she would have been thinking about? Can you imagine finding her in heaven one day and asking her, Mary, did you know, like the song says, did you know when that little baby was born, did you know that one day that child would walk on water? Did you have any idea of who he would become? I know you, you knew he was the Messiah, but what did you think it meant? Did you know that child one day would perform miracles, raise the dead, heal the sick? That one day he would save the entire world from sin and from death. That little baby didn't come to earth just to make us better. That's what religion does. He came to make us new, to be born again 
that he would give sight to people who were blind, that he would stand in the middle of the sea, in the middle of a raging storm, and with one word, silence, the storm. Did you know that little baby would give up all the luxury of heaven? Can you imagine living in a place with gold streets and angels for servants and to leave all of the luxury of heaven to come and live on earth and allow us to abuse him the way we abused him? Can you imagine as a mother, every time you kiss your child, every time you kiss that that newborn baby, you're actually kissing God in flesh. Can you imagine what that would have been like for her? Can you imagine as a mother what it must have been like to watch this boy grow up and one day watch them put him on a cross and become the sacrificial lamb for the entire world? Could you imagine what must have been going through her mind? Mary, my betrothed, you have the most beautiful eyes I've ever seen, and the sweetest smile. Lady, I believe your son is the promised king of his people. What is his name? Jesus. Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day walk on water? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would save our sons and daughters? Did you Did you know that your baby boy 
Did you know that your baby boy is Lord of all creation? Mary, did you know that your baby boy would one day rule the nations? Did you know that your one of the most incredible people in the Bible when you think about her life story and what she went through, what she did. Those of you that are parents here today, all of us, we had children that were born to live. Mary had a son that was born to die. And I can't imagine what it must have felt like for her as a mother that day. So what do we do about it? Well, we do what Mary did. We make him the Lord of our life. In fact, she gives us the best piece of advice in all of the Bible. In John chapter 2, here's what Mary says. His mother said to the servants, do, do whatever he, meaning Jesus, tells you. That's the answer right there. The answer to what? The answer to everything. If you're looking for peace, do whatever he tells you. If you're looking for joy, if you're looking for healing, if you're looking for a miracle, if you're looking for hope, whatever it is, do whatever he tells you. What does he tell us? Well, in the very next chapter, there was a very good man, a great man, very religious man, very obedient to God. And he comes to Jesus and he says, Jesus, what do I have to do to go to heaven? And honestly, there are very few people alive today that can compete with the level of goodness that this man had. So many of us think we just have to be a good person. Here was a good man. Jesus looked at this good man and said, you must be born again. In other words, you're never going to earn it. You're never going to be good enough. You can't work hard enough. You've got to be born again. It's all about new life. It's about a spiritual rebirth. How are we born again? Jesus and Jesus alone. There's only one way to the Father, Jesus Christ the Son. In fact, John, later in chapter 3, goes on and explains the conversation. And here's what John says. He says, For God so loved the world that on the very first Christmas day, He gave you and I a gift. His one and only Son that whoever believes in him. Now, it's very unique there is it's not believe in Jesus as being a real person or a historical figure. It's actually not even the word in, it's the word into. Believe into him. Believe into him. You see, I can see a chair and I can believe that that chair can hold the weight of my body 
But that's different than believing into the chair and actually sitting in the chair and trusting the chair to hold the weight of my body. See, what John is saying, it's not believing that Jesus can. It's not believing in in Jesus being a real person. It's not even believing that he was actually God's son. It's believing into him where you trust him with your whole life. You take your entire life and you place it into him. And you trust him to hold the weight of your life together. A great picture is Christmas. Because I can give you this gift tonight. And this gift can be yours. And you can walk out of the room without the gift. The gift's yours. But how many know this gift can only matter if you take it home, if you unwrap it, and you receive it. That's what it means to believe into Jesus. Is I'm going to unwrap the gift. I'm going to take it home. I'm going to receive this gift that God gave the world on the very first Christmas. How do we do it? We make Jesus the Lord of our life. Jesus, I give you control. Be my Lord. If you've never done that before, I want everyone to just take a moment, close your eyes. Those of you online or wherever you're at, sitting outside, just close your eyes for just a moment. And if you've never surrendered your life to Jesus, if you've never asked Jesus to be your Lord, to to be in charge, to call the shots, to take control, this Christmas, the greatest gift you will ever receive is the Prince of Peace, the Lord of peace. Invite him to be your Lord. Invite him to take charge of every area of your life. And the good news is when he takes over, when he takes charge, when he becomes Lord, he also becomes Savior. There's no magic way to do this. You don't have to say the right words, do the right things. God is more concerned about the condition of your heart than you doing this perfectly. And so right now, if you want to make Jesus the Lord of your life, the way to do it is right now, just in your heart, you don't have to do it out loud, just in your heart, say to God, Jesus, be my Lord, take charge. I give you my life. I surrender to you. I want you to call the shots. However you say it, he understands what you're saying. Now, when you invite Jesus to be the Lord of your life, the Bible says you became born again. Whoever believes into him will not perish, but have everlasting life. If you prayed that prayer just now with me and you gave Jesus control of your life, you asked him to be the Lord of your life, I want you to do two things. One, tell somebody today. Tell somebody you received the greatest gift of Christmas, God's Son, and then get into a really good Bible-believing church. We'd love to welcome you to our church. We love our church. But if not our church, find a great Bible-believing church, and let's do this Christian journey as we follow Jesus.